Welcome to Behave, the behavioural science podcast where we discuss, explore and aim to showcase the practical benefits of layering behavioural insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth. Hosted by Pedro Martins, a director at Total Media, the behavioural planning agency. Remember to rate us on wherever you listen to podcasts and for any questions, feedback or requests for future topics, please email us at podcast at behave.co.uk. For more information on anything discussed in the episode and useful downloads, please visit behave.co.uk forward slash podcast. Welcome to Behave, the podcast that aims to showcase practical business benefits through the application of behavioural science to your marketing. As we continue our conversations with Richard Shotton and Will Hamden Lloyd under this current cloud of COVID-19, today Richard and Will discuss the importance of mood place and moment in creating habits and how we can ensure new customers who've tried our services or product over this period continue post COVID-19. So at the moment we're in a, a period of uh, flux in habits. There's a lot of evidence the habits will be weakened in commercial areas and beyond. And that suggests that this is an important time for brands to continue to advertise. So they're the beneficiary of that rather than the uh, the victim. But alongside habits being broken, we also, as you know, behavioral scientists, people interested in behavior change, we also want to create habits. And there's a whole range of evidence and research into this area that what makes for the best habit creation. And one of the most interesting studies uh, I've found is one by Sarah Milne. And she talks about this idea of implementation intentions. She argues that if you want to create a habit, it's not enough just to create motivations. You've got to make it really simple uh, to, to, to start those habits. So in her study, um, really simple, she recruits a load of participants and she splits them into three groups. First group, she gets them to record uh, what exercise they do and then they come back in two weeks and tell her. Second group, she plays them a motivational video, you know, telling them all the benefits of exercise for their heart health and other such stuff. And she then again gets them to record uh, for the next two weeks when they exercise. And then the third group plays them the video, but also she gets them to create what she calls an implementation intention. Rather than leaving their aspirations about exercising very vague, she gets them to say, when are you going to exercise? Who are you going to exercise with? Where are you going to do it? And how are you going to do it? So, for example, you know, I might go out and say, well, I'm going to exercise after I've dropped my son off at school. Uh, I'm going to go to the local gym with my wife at 9.30 on Tuesdays. That's an implementation intention. And what she showed when she got these three groups back was that there was limited difference, very small difference, not statistically significant difference between the control group and the motivated group. So even though people felt motivated to exercise, it didn't actually turn into action. Whereas there was a huge difference with that final group of those who'd made the implementation intentions. So her argument was people, when they try and create habits, they fixate too much on changing motivation, which is both hard to do and doesn't necessarily 
you know, translate into action. What they should be doing is using some of these tactics like implementation intentions to make that uh, intention much more concrete and, and tangible, you know, focusing more on the how are they going to do it than the why are they going to do it. So, so if, you, if you're um, a brand or business, how would, because I can, I can definitely understand that when it comes to things like health and fitness, how would you apply this? Well, I think one of the simple ways is thinking about that, um, you know, think about this in terms of moments. The, there's an awful lot of evidence out there that creating um, a desire to change behavior isn't enough. You need to attach it to a particular moment, place or mood. You know, so don't try and encourage people just to have a GNT, encourage them to have a GNT at six in the evening. You know, don't just encourage people to brush their teeth twice a day, encourage them to brush their teeth after breakfast and before dinner. You need to create a a time, a, a moment or a place where that the habit can can coalesce around. So I think that would be one of the most practical um, implications. Probably one I think I've heard Will quote before, which is the Febreze example. Yeah, so I think Febreze example was that they originally uh, produced and sold Febreze to cover negative or bad smells and, and found their sales not to be that strong. When they then said that every time you finish cleaning, spray, spray Febreze and added a pleasant smell to it, it A, created that moment when people were meant to use it, which was after they'd finished cleaning. And secondly, the pleasant smell of it created a reward. Um, so they got both that kind of habitual moment when people should do it and a reward every time they did that built it into quite a consistent habit. I think there's there's two interesting areas of this for companies. Oh, one is, is for the safety of their own staff and trying to create positive behaviours in people that are in work or coming back to work. And the second is in selling brands. I think firstly talking about safety in offices, it's one thing to have staff that intend to Mm. Uh, responsibly wear face masks, use hand sanitizer, keep a social distance, and another to have a workforce that are actually doing it. And I think some of these learnings can be used to try and improve the rates at which people follow guidelines within an office. So, for instance, if you think of hand sanitizer, um, one thing is, yes, use it frequently, but another is making sure people do it. One thing you can do is try to create a moment when people should do it. So is it every time they change rooms? Is it by elevators? What are those moments where you are building habitual use of hand sanitizer? And secondly, there's been really interesting studies around uh, where hand sanitizer is placed. Um, these come from hosp- um, how it looks and the likelihood that people use it. Uh, it actually comes from hospitals, Um there was a study coming out of Denmark um, where they put hand sanitizer up in hospitals for people to use and found that only 3% of people did. When they put it by the door and put a large red sign next to it, they actually found that 20% of people used the hand sanitizer. And then when they put it by a door with a large red sign and added a message around the benefits of using hand sanitizer, they increased it to 67%. So that's just one example of by trying to create a time or moment where people should always use it and easily placing it with visually arresting signs, red often being a very 
strong and noticeable color for people and messaging, you significantly uh, increase the action as well as people's intention to follow through with company guidelines. There's, there's an interesting study that might work really well with that. If you're thinking about places that you put the hand sanitizer, um, well, there's a, there's a really interesting study done by, I think it was Bateson maybe, um, where she showed this idea called the watching eyes effect. And she showed if you want to encourage or reduce antisocial behavior, encourage pro-social behavior, that having pictures of her eyes at those places can have a significant effect. So her original study was done in a university um, like common room for staff and particularly around the tea-making facilities. So they, she wanted to see how she could encourage people to be more generous when they're putting in their money each time they use the, the communal milk. And to do this test, she put a poster above the, um, you know, the, 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 the jar asking for donations and one week it would be flowers. This is kind of control uh, image. The next week it would be a pair of eyes. And what she showed was that people gave significantly more money when there were the pictures of eyes rather than the pictures of flowers. And her argument was that mere presence of eyes <clears throat> reminds people they might be being, what, be being watched and therefore they're more likely to behave in a way that is socially acceptable. Now, that is a one-off study. What's interesting about that area is a, um, a guy called Keith Deere then did a huge meta-analysis of lots of different studies around the watching eye effect. And I think it was more like 15 or 17 studies he looked at. And when it was around reducing antisocial behaviour, there was fantastic evidence across this broad range of studies, so we can give it genuine credibility, uh, that antisocial behaviour was significantly reduced by the order of 30-35% when eyes were present. And that straddled things like corruption, littering, theft, all sorts of different antisocial behaviour. So here you could perhaps combine you know, that idea from Will with another body of work to make that messaging at those key places even more effective. So that sounds to me at the moment that would be quite handy around 5G towers. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so so Will, can you tell me if you've got lots of people trying your product, so people have come out of uh, this to try your product, to try new things, how do you get them to continue using your product after that initial period? Well, I think that's it's really interesting. There's um lots of specific areas that will have people um, buying them during this crisis that aren't necessarily thinking they'll be long-term customers. A good example is food delivery services, uh, particularly those with pre-prepared meals, potentially some uh, SVOD services and other areas. And they are using them as services for the crisis, but may not intend to, to use them throughout and may get rid of them afterwards. I think in terms of keeping these customers long-term, one thing we can do is try to make sure their memory of the experience is as positive as possible. Um, and there's something called the peak end rule where people's memory is often dictated by their last experience and most intense experience of a brand or product. And whether some of these brands can think of ways of producing really outstanding moments 
of peak experience for customers while they're trialing them. So potentially, if you were a food delivery service uh, delivering people meals, you could have a package that comes with one extra meal free or isn't charged um, surprisingly on the fourth time that someone gets it. Uh, if you're an SVOD service, you could provide people with unexpected content or, again, a, a surprising period when they're not charged, um, often surprise and incredibly powerful emotion to tap into that creates a really positive uh, feeling in people. And that way, when people look back at the end of the crisis at you as a brand or product, they're much more likely to have a positive memory of you and potentially stay as a long-term customer uh, rather than seeing you as someone they just used through the crisis and they're therefore going to drop once restrictions ease. So, so that's really interesting. It's going back to that creating that positivity now so it carries long-term and then up afterwards. Richard, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, the, the only thing to be to, uh, to add, which would, would, would complement what Will said, was for marketers not to underestimate how long it takes to form a habit. Um, there are some stats that are often banned that are about, about uh, oh, it takes 21 days to form a habit. It's one of those made up kind of zombie facts that never seems to die. I don't think there's much evidence for that, 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 that particular number. A more robust study comes from uh, UCL and um, Philippa Lally. And she looked at a variety of habits and tried to show how long that they would take to become uh, automatic. And her figure that caught the headlines was that on average, it takes 66 days um, to build a habit. But underneath that headline, she then showed, but within the population, there's a huge variance depending on the person and the particular type of habit. So that it might vary from 18 days to 254 days. So what people should take out is there isn't a magic number, but we know that it's often far longer than most people expect and far longer than the commonly banded about term of 21 days. So brands shouldn't expect to be able to create a habit quickly and to have a more sustained series of communications to try and create that habit. Tune in again next week. We'll hear more from Richard Shotton and Will Hamden-Lloyd. Stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by Total Media, the behavioral planning agency, an innovative approach to behavioral insights to deliver more effective marketing results and business growth.